You know, it's funny. I, I've never had a problem reconciling my religious beliefs with who I know myself to be. I have more of an issue reconciling the religious beliefs I was surrounded with growing up with who I know myself to be. So in some ways, my life is a metaphor for just the work that the church is doing. Um, what needs to be unlearned, what needs to be relearned, things like that. I wanted to go to seminary, Southern Baptist Seminary. Uh, my pastor warned me that, yeah, you're going to have a rough go of it because you're a woman. And I experienced many times men trying to say uh, uh, very patronizingly, oh, honey, you've misinterpreted your call to ministry. This God who was non-gendered, she, her, they, them, multifaceted, wonderful God uh, welcomed me and didn't care that the first person I kissed was a girl. You know, none of that mattered. You, you've been hiding in the shadows way too long. You always thought that you were weak, but babe, you're wrong. Yeah, you better step into the light, just give it a try. Think that it's time you let that spark out. You've been hiding in the shadows way too long. Hey, welcome to the Coming Out Late podcast. I'm Robin, your host, and I'm a late bloomer just like you. We are a part of a rapidly growing, lesser known, or even talked about subset of the queer community. We're a tribe, if you will. And if you're anything like me, when I came out, I was confused, scared. I felt like I was going crazy and I felt all alone and had nobody to talk to. Not to worry, you've come to the right place. In the Coming Out Late podcast, you'll hear real, raw, and relatable Coming Out Late stories. You'll be inspired, informed, and educated and you'll definitely feel supported. And you can stop feeling like you're living someone else's life and start living your own. So welcome, you have found your tribe. And welcome to the Coming Out Late Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Coming Out Late Podcast. I am Robin, your host. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate you listening. What you just heard before Jaslyn Edgar's song, Shine, were a few of my favorite comments or quotes from today's conversation. And what a conversation it was. You see, I have a very unique episode for you to experience today. Some time ago, back in the beginning of the year, I was made aware of a handful of newish members of our Coming Out Late Facebook group. Now, these newish members were obviously folks who were coming out later in life, right? But they also had something else in common with each other, something few of us have had the unique opportunity of experiencing firsthand. These folks are both not straight and clergy. That's right, you heard me, queer clergy. Not straight folks who were assigned female at birth and working as clergy. So, it was brought to my attention that this little gaggle of gay clergy were slowly but surely finding one another in our Facebook group. And as their little group, within our group, grew, 
it was suggested to me that, Robin, maybe you might want to consider asking this fine little group of queer clergy if they'd be willing to come on your podcast and talk about their shared and not shared experiences with us. Well, I sure as heck know a good idea when I hear one, and my friend Susie never ceases to amaze me with her endless flow of good ideas. So, ask I did, and they all said yes. So we recorded over four hours of conversation during two different recording sessions, all on one Saturday in mid-February. And what resulted were four episodes I affectionately nicknamed the clergy episodes. If you haven't heard the first two of the four clergy episodes, then you've got to go back and listen to episode number 75 and 76, which became available back in mid-March. And here, I present to you the final two episodes. Well, final for now. Episodes 96 and episode 97, going public this week and next week. Once I knew I had them all on board to record an episode or two for the podcast, I then thought, hmm, why not ask the members of our Facebook group if, one, any of them would like to attend the live recording of these episodes, and two, if any of them would like to submit questions for me to ask our cast of queer clergy. We had one person join us as an observer slash participant, and several of you submitted questions for me to ask. Those questions became the basis of, or starting point, of our conversations. We start this Part 1 episode off with introductions of each of our clergy folk, and we're even introduced to one of our innocent bystanders, Natalie, who was kind enough to participate during the recording at my asking. So let's get into it, shall we? Remember, what you will be listening to are all adults having adult conversations. There may be adult language used and possibly reference to sexual abuse. So, put your feet up, relax, and enjoy this very, very special conversation with a handful of even more special human beings. And yeah, so here we are at our second recording of the Clergy Podcast. So, um, we are a group of five and, and then plus me. And I will ask um, everyone to introduce themselves to get us started. We'll start with Jen, and then we'll go with Kimberly. And welcome, Jen and Kimberly. Hi, um, Jen. I use she, her pronouns. Um, there's kind of two parts of my introduction, I guess. Uh, you know, there's there's the the clergy part of my introduction, where I'm I'm a part time pastor at to welcoming and affirming American Baptist churches. Um, I haven't been ordained very long. I'm 56 years old, so I'm a late bloomer in a lot of ways. <laughs> and um, Both my churches had gay pastors in the past, which is kind of awesome. Um, and we both belong to a formalized group of welcoming and affirming Baptists called the Association for Welcoming and Affirming Baptists, a creative name. Um, so I, I'm stretched pretty thin. I call myself a circuit writer because I'm writing between two churches and uh, love my job, you know. Um, the, 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 personally, I am 56 years old. I have two adult children. 
Um, I have an adorable two-year-old grandbaby. Uh, she's great. And uh, I am uh, identifying simply as not straight. Uh, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not out to too many people, just in my family, close friend group. One of my church moderators, because that came out of a whole, whole conversation of, of them assuming that I was a straight person and i said well i'm not <laughs> so um there you go with that um and my journey as far as coming out is i i only really came out to myself last summer um uh, i'm recently divorced um so after i split from my husband i ran into somebody that I knew for a long time and met for lunch and was like, oh, wait a minute. Now I remember that I'm attracted to you. Oh, geez. Um, so more therapy. Uh, <laughs> um, and I've been, I've been working it out. So, you know, figuring out that, oh, that dancing couple over there, I, I think they're both hot looking. So, you know, whatever. Um, I, I guess that's enough. <laughs> that's great i was gonna ask you like how did you come out to yourself like how did you realize it and there you go there you lunch. go that's kind of how that happened lunch with an old friend happens every time yeah. <laughs> catalyst i think you've been calling it on the podcast but yeah 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 that's a catalyst all right well welcome welcome and kimberly you are up next so i am i am 55 i am i use the word queer i think that it's an umbrella term, and it's interesting because I know we try to reclaim some language. And I know for some people, and this for me is kind of broken down in generational lines. A lot of people bristle at the word. That's my word. I am single, never married, never had any kids. I have. I am living the sandwich life between my mother, who is on the young end of the silent generation, and my nieces who are also kind of on the young end of Generation Z. So I do a lot of um, balancing between the two. I was ordained in the National Baptist Convention. And uh, when I got my, I'd been working on my American Baptist Church, Church's ordination track, which is really more administrative paperwork, that kind of thing. As soon as I got the certificate, notifying me that I'm all good and clear with the American Baptist churches, I left my home church. And I left it for a lot of reasons. I am pretty loud, uh, pretty upfront. Uh, I, I'm at the place in my life where I, I, I don't settle and I don't want to be, I, I don't settle for the kinds of things that women in ministry are often forced to settle for. And one of those was I, I did not want to settle any longer for not being able to be my authentic self, which is crazy because it's not like, so, you know, I, I said in an email to you all that when I came out, my friends were like, yeah, so let's get lunch. I mean, it was such a, a non, it was just, it didn't fall like a lead balloon, but they were just like, okay, Kim, like, yeah, we've been waiting for you. So it wasn't a thing. It was just, yeah. Okay. I have one friend who was just very celebratory for me because, you know, um, so, yeah, so I am untethered, which means I don't belong to a congregation. So I do a lot of preaching at um, a lot of different churches. 
And I, that's, that's what I love. And I, and I've been preaching a lot at one particular church in New York City that is decidedly open and affirming. And it is refreshing to be all that I am in that space without hesitation. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's more. I mean, coming out of the Black church, we are not known for being very, we're, we're very social justice in some places, but when it comes to sexual orientation, gender identity, it's really don't ask, don't tell. But I didn't want to be don't ask, don't tell. I'm going to tell it. And if I can't tell it in that place, then I will bid you farewell. It'll always be my home church, but it just can't be where I call home right now. I totally get that. I totally get that. Um, I love, you know, I'm no longer settling. I mean, I, I think it comes a little bit with age um, to some degree, but I just, um, yeah, I don't want to settle. I'm not going to settle. And and it starts with me first. You know, I'm not going to settle for mediocrity from myself. And then certainly that extends out into the rest of, of um, my life. So very, very cool. Welcome, Kim. It's so great to finally meet you. Um, and now we'll go to Edie. Edie will introduce herself. Uh, hi, guys. I'm Edie. Um, I'm going to be 59 in April. Um, I was ordained in 06. Um, asked my twin sister if she wanted to be a part of the service, and she told me six days before that her husband and her cannot condone a woman becoming a pastor, so they would not be there. Um, in a nutshell, that's my world because, um, first of all, I was in seminary for like 11 years, so it wasn't like it was a surprise, <laughs> but, um, as we all know, and part of our conversation today is that the church is just wonky in, uh, welcoming. And I've been complicit in that, um, since my early days, I've been a, a, a leader in the church since, uh, high school and um the journey took me all over the place lots of shoulds and this is what you need to do and be going forward um but now i find myself um i'm a transitional pastor helping churches find permanent um called pastors um sometimes i've had to help close a church for various reasons but um this next week i start my seventh church in 9 years um Something that comes out of my ministry is that every church is in transition and every pastor is an interim. And so I've always prepared the ground for the next leadership and, and I don't make it dependent on me. Um, but the church is very dependent on clergy, too dependent on clergy. And so I call myself an ethos change agent when I come in and push back a little bit on that. I feel like my own journey... Um, with my theology and my um, sexual identity is just part of the work that the church is doing itself. So in some ways, my life is a metaphor for just the work that the church is doing, um, what needs to be unlearned, what needs to be relearned, things like that. Um, so that's, that's my story. Um, four years ago, I fell in love with a lesbian in uh, the congregation and um, it was time for me to just, move out and move on with my life. Uh, easy because I had a job, easy because my family was really supportive, my immediate family. And I had the means to do it. Um, and I had her support. But as soon as I filed for a divorce, it made her really, really nervous. And when it was finalized, 
um, a year ago, um, she requested that we not see each other again. And so I haven't seen her since March of last year. Um, and the podcast helped me recognize how difficult that is for longtime lesbians and trusting the journey of those of us who are coming out later. Um, my ex and I are still really good friends. Uh, he's also a transitional pastor. Um, he had to move out of state. Our kids have um, left the nest and are doing their own thing. And in many ways, our family is supporting each other as four adults in a way that we haven't. And um, we're enjoying that. My family is my husband's family, believe it or not. Um, they've been wonderful since the beginning. My 90-year-old mother-in-law called me as soon as she found out to make sure I knew that I would always be the same to her and loved by her. Um, my, my twin sister and my brother do not know why I left my husband and are still scratching their heads. And someday I'll figure out when and how um, they can be in, looped into that. But right now it's just too difficult. And like some of you, um, only the kind of trusted few kind of know my story. And um, part of that's because I bounce around so much with my work, but um, it's not necessarily a secret. So if it were to come out, I would not be, you know, would not be the end of me or anything like that. Um, sorry, I rambled more than I meant to, but I am thrilled to share this space with you guys. Very cool. Thank you, Edie. And up next, we have Rachel. My name is Rachel. I am 54 years old. Um, I was not raised in the church, so I was not really instilled with um, any God prohibits you from doing X, Y, Z as I was growing up. Um, I was born and raised in Indianapolis, and then for college, I moved to Eastern Kentucky, small school, uh, and had some friends that were very much outgoing sort of born-again Christian types and did their daily devotional um, and what I had my roommates and then one of them invited me to the Baptist Student Union and I was sort of in a, a time where I was wanting to know more about who God was and who this Christian God is and um, very much felt accepted into the Baptist Student Union and it had a great relationship with the campus minister there who you know, would answer all my strange questions. And it didn't take long for me to feel called to ministry. This was my second senior year, and uh, I was music ed major. Um, and I, I wanted to go to seminary, and Southern Baptist Seminary. Uh, and he warned me, and, and my, my pastor warned me that, yeah, you're going to have a rough go of it because you're a woman. And I experienced many times men trying to say uh, uh, very patronizingly, oh, honey, you've misinterpreted your call to ministry. I'm like, what the heck? Who are you? You don't know. So, you know, I kept at it, uh, though I was in seminary at a very tumultuous time. It was um, being kind of overrun by fundamentalists. And I, at the time, I also got married to a man. Uh, who he later turned out to be a cheating, um, abusive jerk. Uh, so I got my degree, I got my divorce, and said goodbye to the church. Um, moved back to Indiana, 
um, right around the same time my dad died, which, you know, really sucked. Um, but it, about a year later, I found the Presbyterians and they were like, do you have a master of divinity? How come you're not a pastor? And I shared with them the story of like, oh, we're not like that. Though it, it did, I did come to find out that, okay, well, maybe they accepted me as a divorced woman. But it was that, at that time, um, right around this, the late 90s, early uh, 2000s, where the Presbyterian Church was going through the do we ordain um, and welcome gays and lesbians. And, and it really caused huge, huge problems within the denomination where churches were leaving the denomination. And in fact, another one was, was started. Um, but at this point, the denominations pretty open to it. I really didn't look into my own sexuality. I had not really even dated for 20 some years. I was dealing with issues of my health. I, um, at age 42, was diagnosed with um, an aggressive form of breast cancer, had just gone through um, my mom experiencing lung cancer. So trying to piece lives together and then take care of her um, and started started preaching, you know, and working at uh, two different Presbyterian churches. And it wasn't until about four or five years ago that I thought, you know what, maybe it's time for me to have a relationship. And I'd always known, somehow no. knew that there, and I had an attraction to people. Didn't matter what they had between their legs. It was, it was an attraction to people. And as I finally, as I said, you know what, I'm going to, you know, kind of look at the, at the female gender. Uh, I thought, okay, well, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? How am I going to talk to my friends? How am I going to talk to my family? And so I think these last four years have been a, um, really figuring out who I am. Uh, uh, I like I haven't really, I don't have a word yet. I like the non-straight. I also like the word queer, the lesbian. I don't know. I don't know quite yet who I am, um, but it's it's been an interesting journey. Um, I am out to my closest friends, um, some of my church members. Um, I even had to come out to my very conservative brother and three nephews because uh, I was going to be bringing a partner to my mother's funeral, and I sort of wanted to give them a heads up. That, um, but but uh, I'm still, yeah, still trying to figure out who I am before I really publicize that. There's also um, my my current church. I'm in. I'm now in North Central Wisconsin, and whereas I think most of my church would be fine with it. When I when I was first wrestling with this, it was kind of COVID time, and I was like, I don't want to throw more drama into into these people's lives. Um, so I didn't even think about it then, and I still don't know. I don't know when I'm going to let them know. And and part of me says, you know, I do they need to know? I don't know. So that's kind of where I am now. And I love that you're taking. Thank you, thank you, and welcome. I I love that you're taking your time to figure that out. You know. Um, since I, I've been out this May, it'll be eight years and I'm still trying to figure out who I am if I want to grow up, you know, like I, I don't know. Um, I'm just kind of evolving and, and going with it. So I think that's good, you know, and, and we don't have to shout it to the world right away if we're not sure 
how the world is going to receive it. Something I meant to ask when Kim was introducing herself, you mentioned that you, how did you put it? You, you don't have one church, but that you go, you pastor at other churches. How do you do that? Like, just out of curiosity, how do you get a job at a, like, jump around? Is it? So this is actually a really good question because I think people conflate reverend, pastor, and preacher. So pastor, think of, think of pastor as the the shepherd, right? Like if we're going to really use biblical image. So the pastor is the one who's hired by the church or called by the church. Hired, let's just make it plain here because capitalism is capitalism. Hired by the church to lead them. And part of that role involves the Sunday morning preaching, but it also involves pastoral care, which is caring for the congregation. Um, and it's interesting because as someone who also works for a domestic violence agency, I know that we don't get trained on so many issues and yet we land in churches and we commit acts of violence. But that's another podcast. So anyway, so um, the pastor is the person who is like, that's the, the head person, right? I am more itinerant is a little anachronistic because we don't really use that as much. I am so I am someone who uh, I left my church and uh, I'll try to tell this quickly. But you've got preachers here, so we don't do anything. We don't do quick storytelling. <laughs> I um I left my church and I got an email from someone that I a uh, uh, instructor from seminary who's at a church, this church where I've been doing pulpit supply, and that's what I do, pulpit supply looking for someone to be their fall preacher. Send me a video, your resume, let's talk. And so I've been preaching there for a couple of years now as doing pulpit supply. They have a lot of folks doing pulpit supply. The executive pastor there knows someone else and they recommended me. So then I preached at their church. In my role as an educator and outreach and organizer in my domestic violence agency, I was I did a talk in October at another church in uh, in White Plains, and they heard me and they were like, "Oh my gosh, why aren't you preaching here?" So then I did two Sundays there. So it's really word of mouth that I've been asked to come in and do a little pulpit supply here. I'm doing some anti-racist organizing with a UCC church up here in Westchester. And the plan, I preached a couple of times and I'm doing these sessions with them to help them develop their anti-racist, their equity um, work. And so I, I preach and I lead those conversations. So it's, it's a little word of mouth. You do this, or can you do this? And oh, and can you do this too? So that's, and, and I'm glad you asked because a lot of people think I, I have friends who call me their pastor because of our relationship, but I don't pastor a church. I'm not interested in pastoring a church. And I know every time I say that, God is like, <laughs> well, we'll see about that. So for right now, I'm not pastoring, but I'm preaching. And, and you're pastoring people, you know? Who cares where they are? Or I don't know. I think the work you're doing is beautiful. Yeah, and and someone at, at at this church where I've been doing public supply a little more regularly said that she appreciated my pastoral approach to preaching. So, and that's that's what's going to fry your listeners' noodles because they're going to be like, "What? What does that mean?" But there there are all different kinds of ways for us to show up. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll put it that way, and that's well, that's the way that I show up. 
how, what's preaching then? How does preaching differ from pastoring? So the preaching moment is probably for me the most exciting moment on a Sunday morning. That okay. is when, because I've been working all week, taking a text, biblical text. Um, you know, I think it was Karl Barth who said, and this, you know, it could be anyone that when you read the Bible, especially as a preacher, I read the Bible with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, or my Twitter feed in the other, right? Because <laughs> when I stand up in the pulpit, I want to be able to address through the scripture what's been happening in people's lives, what's been happening in the world I to make that. it all relevant, to, to help people who are coming to check in, to get a refill and to send them back out for the rest of the week. So wow. it, the preacher is, it, it, I am connected to that preaching moment, that 10 minute, 10 to 15 minutes when I get to tell people, thus saith the Lord to me, I'm sharing it with you. Now take it and go live. Okay. I mean, this may really simplify it. And I, I mean, no disrespect at all, but it's almost like channeling and sharing that channeling with your congregation. You know, you're letting God channel through you and, and, and you're, I love how you're using current events, you know, to that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. is really cool. Thank you. Thank you for explaining mm-hmm. that. Well, what's a reverend then? What is, what does a reverend do? And can women, can women be reverends? We're all reverends. Yes. You're looking okay. really full of reverence. Yeah. So reverend in, is really a title. It's like, so, and for those of us in the Christian uh, traditions, you go to seminary, it's almost like you go to seminary. Yeah, it's the hoops. You have to jump through the hoops, check the boxes. And then your congregation says, okay, now you are, you are revered. You are the reverend, right? Um, it's kind of, it's a little silly. It's like getting a master of divinity. What, I don't want to be the master of anything, but that's, that's another podcast conversation. So yeah, we're, we're all reverends. They're ordained. We're ordained. We are set aside by a denomination or a body to lead, which even coming out of my mouth sounds really gross and icky, but I have some friends who are ministers, which means they haven't yet gone to that next level, as opposed to our rabbi kindred who go to JTS. From what I understand, you, 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 you are becoming a rabbi as you go through the process. But we have to get the stamp of approval from our denominations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like that. Jen, Jen says that she has a mug that has Ms. and Mrs. crossed out. And below it says, it's Rev, actually. <laughs> I love that. All right. Last but not least, let's hear from Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Hi. Um, so I am 46. I am not a reverend. But I am really excited to be in on this conversation, um, mostly as an observer. But I came out in 2019 after I removed myself from the environment of, um, I was actually a pretty devout Mormon for 42 years. And after I left, um, and I, I, I realized that I, Yes, I am attracted to women. And I came out to my husband at the time about a week after I accepted it about myself. Now I've been divorced for almost two years. Um, so it was last, well, beginning of 21 that I came out to um, my kids and four siblings. 
and told them we were getting divorced all on the same day. That was just really, yeah, something. <laughs> so that's quite a day. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, I had come out to my parents a few months previously or a couple months before that. So didn't have that that day too. But um, yeah, I got a lot of shock um, responses. But um, fortunately, my kids were both pretty supportive. Um, I've got a daughter that's 24 and son that's 21. Um, and I am just still figuring out, um, my relationship with God, um, because it was so intertwined with the church for so many years that it, it was hard to separate. So after leaving, I, I still want you know, to be spiritual and to have a relationship with God and, you know, kind of processing and identifying all the things that I was taught as solid truth, you know, that now I, well, for a while now, you know, it's, it's okay to question. So. It absolutely is okay to question, you know, it's part of our human nature. You know, we need to be curious and questioning and I think that's, that's great. Well, welcome, Natalie. Thank you. All right. So uh, we have a Facebook group called Coming Out Late. And um, I believe it was uh, Reverend Kim who introduced herself. She came in and said, hey, I'm, I'm me and this is what I do. And, and then someone else piped in and said, oh, my gosh, I'm a reverend, too. And oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm in seminary school. And bing, 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 all these, all these clergy folks started popping up. It was really cool. And then um, a friend of mine, Susie, who is in our in our group, said, Robin, I think you really have a podcast episode here. So I reached out to everybody and they were kind enough to set aside time today uh, to do two recordings uh, to accommodate everybody's schedules. And um, I can't wait to dive into some of these questions. So so once I, once we had the date set up and, and I realized, my gosh, I should let the Facebook group know that we're doing this. And if they have any questions in advance, and I'm so glad I did, we ended up with a handful of questions that I, I put into the chat and I will also uh, read aloud and then pose them to you all. Um, some of you were in the first recording and some of you weren't. So we'll start with Jen and Kim, who were not in the first recording, and we'll go with the first question that was submitted. How are you able to reconcile your religious beliefs with who you know yourself to be? And there's kind of a B and C to that, which, which is what do you say to those uh, that condemn being gay? And what does God or the Bible actually have to say about this? So how are you able to reconcile your religious beliefs with who you know yourself to be? And then the B and C to that. And we will start with um, Jen. And then we'll go to Kim and make our way around the room. Wow, that's a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, it's funny. I, I've never had a problem reconciling my religious beliefs with who I know myself to be. I have more of an issue reconciling the religious beliefs I was surrounded with growing up with who I know myself to be. Uh, you know, I, I grew up with... a. My mom was super fundamentalist back in the days of Pat Robertson and the 700 Club and all that toxic theology. You know, you can't even cut it with a knife. Um, 
And uh, my dad really wanted to be Mormon like his brother. And so they fought about it all the time. And so they decided never to go to church. Um, But they each had their turn with us kids trying to teach us who God really was. Well, I, I met God in a tree. It was a very mystical experience. I had been uh I, I had been raped in seventh grade, honestly. And so I had I didn't have anybody to go to. I had nobody to go to. There was no safe place for me to be in. So I I met God in a tree. So this God who was non gendered, she, her, they, them uh multifaceted, wonderful God uh, welcomed me and didn't care that the first person I kissed was a girl, you know. None of that mattered. How do I reconcile my parents' religious beliefs with who I am? I don't know. It's just uh, that kind of goes into the B section. How do you, what do you say to people who condemn being gay? And you know, I'm I'm not out to my dad. My my mom died years ago, but my my stepmother is like mom the sequel. Lots of fundamentalist toxic religion. Um and and dad has secretly admitted that he's gonna get baptized Mormon after death. So <laughs> religious mess, but My stepmother said, well, you know, I know the Bible says that being gay is an abomination, but I feel bad because Jesus says we shouldn't judge. And I said, yeah, well, Jesus did say something like that, like we shouldn't judge. So why don't we just start by loving each other? And that's that's kind of how I I roll, you know, if, if you start with love. Um, what does the Bible actually say about this? Mm. Kimberly, I love what you said about preaching pastorally. Mm. Because that I, I preach to congregations of, you know, people who have been hurt by institutionalized religion, uh, people in the recovering community. We have a huge recovering community in one of my congregations. Um, I have uh, gay couples. I have people who had been rejected from other churches because of, you know, one one's a, a black woman preacher in her heart, and her church rejected her. So she's there. The Bible's been used to to beat up a lot of folks that I preach to. So I I I really from the pulpit I say, well, there's a lot of different interpretations of the Bible and frankly the Bible was written down by human beings. And you start with context, like where where does this narrative even come from in history and and who's speaking and all that stuff. And then translation, because, okay, not for nothing, the King James Version was written by, like, some real powerful patriarchy um, and had nothing to do with the Hebrew and Greek translations. So there's that. Well, you should hear me 
preach about first Timothy that says women shouldn't preach. Um, and then the third, the most important thing I tell people who have been beaten up by scripture is Jesus says that you'll know false prophets by their fruit. Um, and I, I stink at quoting chapter and verse. That's what Google's for, for me. Um, but, but Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits. And if it's good fruit, it results in, in loving kindness and, and being life-giving. It, if it is not good fruit, it is not good fruit if it's hurting an individual or an entire group of people. Um, and then I, I, I tell them, ask questions. Always ask, especially if it's your pastor. And I, I'm standing here in any sort of authority whatsoever. Question me. And I've had entire units of Bible studies where they just pepper questions at me. And it's terrifying. But, you know. It's like, that is just what a beautiful answer. What a beautiful response, you know? And um, yeah, based on their fruits, if it's a good fruit, you'll result in love and kindness. Um, beautiful, beautiful response. Reverend Kim. Yeah, so um, how do I reconcile? That's such an interesting question. But they had to phrase it that way. Um, so for me, there's... There's no reconciliation. I, I grew up, the, the pastor of my childhood, and I, I joined my church when I was seven, I think, and he was the pastor for over 40 years. It doesn't happen a lot anymore, but he was the pastor there for a long time. And one of the things I clearly remember, two things, was that he never took himself seriously. So he joked, he clowned, he laughed. So I grew up seeing i grew up in the black church watching this black man pastor us cracking jokes i mean there are things that me and my friends still laugh about today and he's been dead and gone reverend dr rufus a struther jr and his name is definitely uh, a, a blessing um so there was laughter joy and love and that that's those are like the three key themes that i grew up hearing so I, so, th so there's nothing to reconcile, right? Because my beliefs are grounded in some beautiful places. And it just, it was really just up to me because we don't spend all day in church. We have to go out and deal with the world outside of those four walls for the rest of the week. And it was really dealing with the lies that people were telling me about myself. So for me, the, my faith and who I am are right here, sandwiched together. Um, so what do I say to those who condemn? I don't say anything. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I learned that I can't convince anybody to love me, like me, be with me, and that's fine. But if I spend all of my time talking back to or trying to convince people that I am okay with being who I am, I'm going to miss out on spending time with my nieces. I'm going to miss out on scratching my dog behind his ears. I'm going to miss out on eating dark chocolate. I'm going to miss out on all the goodness that can come my way because I'm trying to convince people that I have a right to live, move, live, and have my being. And that's not, the, that's, I have to preserve my energy. And, and, you know, yeah, so 
I don't. I love that. I love that. I just, I, have say, to, I just have to live my truth. I say the same thing to people who are living in the past, you know, who can't get over, and whether it's trauma, and I've had trauma, you know, or whether it is just unhappy things, you know, unpleasant things, death, whatever. People who live in the past are robbing themselves of the today, like scratching your dog behind his ear, you know, and those kinds of things. And dark chocolate, for sure. You know, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's hard to be in two places at once. You can't be in the present moment and in the past. And you're robbing yourself of, of um, so much richness if you're stuck in the past. But yeah, I, I love that. And that, that thing about, so what does God, what does the Bible actually say? So there's, there's a danger here. And I know people who may be listening are thinking, okay, now we're going to get you to like, they're going to give us some texts and scriptures. And no, I'm not. Here's one thing I know about what the Bible, you know what the Bible has to say about me? That I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How about that? The Bible tells me that God is love, Right. Jesus activity in the world tells me that there is a place around the table for everybody, right? Even the people who despised him, he invited to that table. A lot of people will quote Paul when it comes to queer folks. And I, I, I Paul didn't die on the cross for me. <laughs> I'm not getting on the road for this Lenten season to talk about Paul, right? And if we really want to get into some textual study, let's look at how long it took for the word homosexual to be put into the Bible. And let's, let's look at some Koine Greek, right? It's so easy for people to cherry pick scriptures to say, I'm supposed to hate you based on this. I'm a black woman. There are people in the world who believe in the curse of Ham and that I should be out somewhere in a field chopping cotton because of how they've read that portion of scripture. So I, I, I'm going to lean in on the justice, the loving kindness, the love, the joy that I read in the Bible. And, and I think to Jen's point, and I think we would all agree, like looking at context, you know, and, 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 and I'll, and I'll say this last thing, there are more verses about poverty and wealth in the Bible than there are about who I am, who I might love, who I might want to spend my night with. So why don't we focus on, let's talk about capitalism. How about we do that? Let's talk oh, about God. poverty. But no one wants to have that conversation. They just want to talk about what's going on with my life, which is none of their business. Yep. Oh my God. I was going to say the same thing. Amen. <laughs> Holy cow, I've got goosebumps like everywhere from so far this whole time. It's so true. I love it. Does anybody have any comments about what they heard from Jen or Kim? Anybody want to jump in? Um, I was going to, what I was struck with is trying to get, I still try to get behind the question, you know, the question and agree with Kim that reconciling everything uh, almost distracts from the beginning, you know, what we're talking about. Reconciling is um, uh, apparently a, a, an accounting term, and I got a C minus in economics. I hated that class, man. Thank God I don't have to balance a checkbook anymore. But they, but they are—they're all talking about a ledger in one way or another. They're talking about God's ledger, and I just think that's really bad theology because um, we have so many folk 
in the Old Testament, New Testament, who served God's purposes, were called, were invited to participate in loving on the world, but none of them met some sort of qualifications on that ledger before they were called. They were just called because God wanted to use them, period. And I, I suspect all of us feel that way, that, you know, we're, we're loved, but it's not because of some, some sort of merit that we got everything to line up in just the right way, that now we are beloved. Now we belong. So I think as pastor, I feel like anyone who comes into the sanctuary, I'm so glad they're here because without them, I wouldn't know the depths of God's love as well. So it's not like what the church can do for you. Thank you for being here. Put some money in the plate, right? Instead, it's you're blessing us by just introducing us to another sibling where we get to know your story, listen to how our story intersects with yours, and together we're going to find out just how amazing our God is. And we already are beloved and we already belong. And that's the good news that hasn't been shared by the church, right? And so when we say, how can you reconcile, you know, that God, um, this is not God's, you know, uh, purposes for your love life, I guess. Um, it just seems like, um, yes, who cares? But I think we have to t go back to that ledger and say, in the economy of God, love just is. And um, it's not forced on us. Because love is not coercive. Um, God is not an imposition. Um, but it's there for the receiving and the living into and enjoying and celebrating and participating in. But of course, we don't have to. Um, and so if we're going to keep asking questions about how can, how can you reconcile um, scripture to your lifestyle, um, it's just an entirely different, just an entirely different conversation. I feel like I'm rambling. Um, it's only two o'clock on the West Coast, so I've noticed. <laughs> but Robin made me get up at seven a.m. So I didn't. I, I well, I sort of <laughs> did, but I didn't mean to. I'm uh, sorry. I do that. I derail when things get too intense. But um, I hope that that made sense. I just feel like that's a lot of sense. That's the good news: is people are already beloved. They already belong. So let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. And. Um, Scripture will back that up a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I love that. Anybody want to comment on that? Jump on in, unmute. And I, I will say too, and I brought this up in the first recording that we did. Um, you know, but what you were saying about you know when you show up, you know, you already belong. You know, and it's not what you can bring, you know, to us, but it's just like you just belong, and there's love automatically. And it doesn't it doesn't matter what we do. It reminds me so much again, and, and I keep it, I, I, it's no secret to people that I'm in 12-step recovery, and it, it's the same thing. When people show up, whether they have um, 12 hours of sobriety under their belt or 12 years or 200 years, some people relapse after 20 years and come back, and we just, we don't judge them, and we just love them because we, you know, we, we've all been on some level uh, some human experience we've shared, and it sounds so much like what you're talking about. It's it's beautiful. Really beautiful. All right. Let's see. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Rachel. How do you reconcile your beliefs with who you know yourself to be? 
like I mentioned before, I wasn't raised in the church. And the reason for that was that um, my mother uh, early on um, had a had a very bad experience with uh, with a pastor who she felt was butting in on her and my father's marriage. And it it so wounded her that she she said she left the church. She did not go back and she made that vow to herself that she would not raise her children in the church because she wanted my brother and I to make our own choices. And and at one point after um, I, I became a Christian in college and was wanting to go to seminary and she said, oh, I'm so I'm so sorry that I didn't raise you in the church. And I'm like, don't don't be. I'm here because of who I am, not because of something that you did. And and I think even this question, um, and I, I mentioned this before, the church has hurt us, hurt so many people. And we come out of that saying, having to reconcile so many things. Why? When, when what the message that that Christ gave us was that that God loves you. Um, that's as you are. That who you are. Uh, when when Jesus gave the the Sermon on the Mount uh, and was speaking with his disciples, and he started with the Beatitudes, he was like, "I see you. I see you when you hunger and thirst. I see you who are poor and who those who are grieving. You you're longing for something more." And, and guess what? That's the message I bring you. So he he does bring us a, a message of love. And if anything, it's a reconciliation to knowing him without being weighed down uh, with all the drama of of what the church and our lives have put upon us. Um, like like Jen, I just because I wasn't raised in the church, I totally believed in God. I felt God in. Um, the experience of nature and in my love of music. So I had no doubt that there was a God. I just wanted, I, it was, it, God was more transcendent. And I think in the person of, of Jesus, uh, I, I can feel a little bit more of that imminence of, of God uh, with, with us, present with us. Um, and that presence is love. Uh, so that's how I reconcile it. And I think the, that type of question, if it's if it's coming from someone who is feeling that 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 there's some sort of shame within themselves, they're looking for how how do I reconcile it with me, you know? Uh, and and maybe that's what we as pastors can do is help people, but um, themselves heal yes, and start to heal some of the trauma that that the church has has inflicted upon. Absolutely. Oh gosh, you just made me think of something that I forgot what I was going to ask. Oh, I, I know, and and this um, and this is to all of you. Um, and this comes up in in AA as well because the the big book in AA is is just absolutely peppered with the word God, and um, it, it, you know, it's come up that and, and it's it's like a Bible because it was written in 1939, and very little changes have been made to this big book. One of the things that comes up in each of the chapters and whatever of, of people who gather are the pronouns. <clears throat> and how do you refer to God? He, him, she, they, them, it, you know. 
Um, what are your thoughts? Each of you can respond if you have a comment about that. Go ahead, Kim. So I, I grew up in a place where God was always he. I got to seminary, Union Theological Seminary. And, you know, um, and I was like, wait a minute, God is what? Because we grew up with this image of God looking like the Coca-Cola Santa Claus, right? Um, and then, yeah, so, okay, God, God, okay, God is she. And, and I remember going to a conference where Will Gaffney, bless her, uh, Will Gaffney was talking about how the early church fathers, um, <laughs> and I hope I'm quoting this right because I just remembered that we're on a podcast. So the early church fathers actually uh, gave God a sex change. Like, so it's that, 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 the, the imposition of patriarchy, a word that gets overused, but really the imposition of that to determine that God has a gender, you know? And even when we, so when we, even when we look at um, Hebrew and Greek, like the words for the spirit are feminine, right? And so, so how do you have feminine spirit and this kind of manly, lumberjacky kind of image of God and, and God nurtures like, so God is described as a hen covering her chicks. Like how, like, so, so like the, I, I don't know. Are we reading the same Bible? So, so I, I, um, I, every Monday morning, I, I am one of the leaders of a, a prayer, prayer, um, prayer call. It's called Hannah's prayer hour. And the leader, Reverend Dion Boissier, bless her soul. See, when we read the Psalms, we always start off the prayer with a Psalm and we take out whenever it says he or him, we just swap out him or her. Mm -hmm. And everyone shows up for the prayer call the next Monday. Right. And, yep. and like no one dies. There's no blood on the walls. Like people still live, move and have their being. And so the pronouns, when we talk about God, I mean, yeah. What? And if we're made in the Imago Dei, if we're made in the image of God, why can't God look like me with locks and, and this skin and this Yep, I agree. And so, I mean, that's why I brought it up because I'm, I am increasingly becoming more and more anti-patriarchy <laughs> and it drives me crazy that, that, you know, he is the go-to and, and I understand that we've been, you know, we've been conditioned that way forever. You should, you all should read the, uh, the AA big book. My good, it was written in 39 and I'm telling you, everything is all about the man and how the woman should bring him his slippers and his pipe. And oh my gosh, yeah, it's really hard to get through. But and we have to vote in our business meetings whether we can change while we're reading from the big book whether we can change the uh, the pronouns and things like that. And and like you said, we did vote recently in my group that I go to, and nobody died. Everyone and no one's abusing the privilege. It feels very antiquated, but yeah, that's a great point. And and I I strongly believe, and I don't have I had very little religious upbringing uh, or education, and. But I'm, I've learned recently on my spiritual journey that love is in each of us. So, so Kim, your God absolutely looks like you. You know, my God looks like me. You know, if we carry our God with us, which is something I wanted to mention to Natalie about, you know, she said, how, you know, how do I find God again? It's like, you've always had God. God is in, inside of you. Um, and it's, it's, that's just my opinion. I mean, that's just one, you know, very uneducated um, person's opinion. But um, that's how I like to think of it, is that 
you know, my God looks just like me. And that's why I am loved because I am exactly how my God made me. And um, anybody else want to answer? Uh, go ahead, Edie. Well, the first thing I wanted to say is that I'm also looking for a woman to bring me my slippers and my pipe. If anyone's interested. Okay. Calm. We'll put that out there. Okay. I told you this was going to be really good. Whew. It was passionate, it was heartwarming, and it was real. These kinds of conversations require us all to be open-hearted and sincerely open-minded. What an experience. I cannot wait to share part two with you next week, where we continue talking about pronouns and whether or not God is gendered. And we'll read more questions that were submitted by members of our Coming Out Late Facebook group. And we'll try to keep on keeping it real. Oh, and just so you know, I would like to dedicate today's episode in the memory of one Reverend Rufus A. Strother, Jr. May we be lucky enough to have your loving spirit and smiling soul shining down on us all today. Did you know I offer private one-on-one -on -one coaching? If you're struggling to make sense of and manage your coming out late journey, then I encourage you to send me an email and request information about my one-on-one -on -one coaching services. It really does make a big difference to have someone like myself who really understands what you're going through. Just email me at comingoutlater at gmail.com to request my coaching information sheet. And as far as coming out late retreats go, I am now accepting deposits for our coming out late retreat experience in Traverse City, Michigan, taking place September 28th, 29th, 30th, and October 1st. So if you live in Michigan or want to travel to Traverse City, Michigan to experience their Up North Pride festivities and hang out with other late bloomers to experience this newish out gay life with a small trusted group, then email me at comingoutlater at gmail.com and I can send you a copy of the first group email that went out along with instructions on how to get your deposit into me this week. Out and Wild We not only have the opportunity to be out and wild in Traverse City, Michigan, but in 2024, you will have the opportunity to join me internationally and be out and wild in Wales, too. I plan to take a group of Americans with me back to the Out and Wild LGBTQ Women's Wellness Festival. And I now have in my possession an early bird promo code and link created specifically for us to be shared with you to purchase your Out and Wild LGBTQ Women's Wellness Festival ticket for 2024. And guess what? Four of us have already bought our festival tickets. So why don't you join us as we glamp on the gorgeous grounds of the Pembrokeshire Coast National Forest in Wales, in the UK, next May. The festival begins on May 31st, and we leave the festival grounds on the morning of June 3rd. These early bird festival tickets are being sold now, so if you are in North America and wish to come with me to Out and Wild next May, just email me at comingoutlater at gmail.com for that American early bird link and promo code. But don't dilly-dally because our early bird discount and promo code is only good until August 31st. And so that you can see what all the hubbub is about regarding the Out and Wild Women's Festival, I'll post the link to the Out and Wild website in the show notes.
If you get value from my weekly podcast, I invite you to please show your appreciation by buying me a virtual coffee by going to the website at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Robin Douglas, R-O-B-I-N-D-O-U-G-L-A-S-S. And I'd like to thank all of you who have recently bought me a coffee or coffees as well as in the past. I appreciate your support. It really does make a difference and it means the world to me. So thank you. Remember to please be kind to yourself today and that it's better late than never because it's never too late. Carpe Vita, everyone. Seize life. If you're looking for your people, your community, and a safe place to learn and get answers to your questions, then come join the conversation. Come join us in our private Facebook group, Coming Out Late, because we all know it's better late than never, and it's never too late. So-